Welcome to Unbundling Embedded Finance, your insight into the future of financial services. Today's guests are your Hoan, Chief Platform Officer, and Leila Kasim, Chief of Staff. Enjoy the show. This is the first episode of our podcast on Unbundling Embedded Finance. So I'd like to welcome you to this very first episode. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you as well. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you both on. So today we're going to talk about embedded finance, BAS, and open banking and try to make some order out of the chaos. So first off, could you both introduce yourselves, you know, give us a little bit, uh, a few words on what you do at Solaris. Yes, absolutely. I will start. So my name is Leila. I am the chief of staff at Solaris. I've been here for three years. I actually started as the head of strategy and shareholder relations. So that gives you a pretty good indicator of what my roles and responsibilities have been historically and have been stretching into as chief of staff now, adding a little bit extra with the strategy yeah. and the shareholder relations now. Over to you, Jörg. Thanks, Leila. Uh, yeah, I'm Jörg, um, chief platform officer is what we call the role. I'm a board member at Solaris, um, responsible for the production side of the business, um, meaning um, product, tech and operations, building, running, maintaining, operating our technical platform. Also have a long Solaris history, more than six years by now, um, started as a project manager, became chief product officer, um, and by now responsible for what I said before. So overall, I think um, I was there when embedded finance was enabled. Great. So since we're talking about embedded finance, and that's obviously part of banking. So can we just, can you give a few words on just both of you? What is banking? <laughs> Start with you. I can, I can, yeah, I mean, we can make this in now 45 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure about the, the, the short version. The very short version is like banking is ages old, right? I mean, 4,000 years. Indian priests and temples were the ones who started lending to people. Um, in, in Europe, it arrived somewhere in 1400 when in, in ancient Italy, the Medici's uh, made that a little bit more professional. In principle, it's always about three things. Some people have money, too much. Other people need money. They ask for money. And then they need to transact money somehow between them, different currencies, and so on. So have money, need money, transact. That's the three basement base pillars of banking has always been like this. And it's comparably boring, I would say. <laughs> Layla, do you have anything to add to that very concise summary? No, I would not want to compete with that. That's perfectly <laughs> summarized. So thank you for that very short and accurate explanation of what banking is. So over the last few years, what have been the main developments uh, in banking? Can we start with uh, Layla? The main developments in banking. Yes. Um, well, I mean, I think the best way to term that is is talking about the technological revolution that has happened in banking. Um, the incumbent banks have obviously gotten very accustomed to having a large customer base who've had to use them because they've had no other choice. Um, meanwhile, there's been a growing, I would say, groundswell of need from consumers and expectations of how they wish to transact going forward. So um, there is a movement that we are pioneering at Solaris, which is embedded finance. I would say that embedded finance has probably been around for some time. I'd say we're probably in the second wave. And I'm sure that there will be many, many waves that come after us. And I sincerely hope because we wish to keep innovating and see the players that come after us too. The first wave would definitely be, I would say, 
more termed with the payment companies, the PayPal's of this world. They they abstracted that layer that traditionally um, stuck with banks. Now what we're looking at is using the tech piece that I was alluding to, the technological revolution. And we are part and parcel of that second wave is the API first. So um, everything that we do is via APIs, um, application program interface that Dr. J can talk a lot to as chief platform app officer. And essentially um, we're trying to bring financial services, products and solutions to the point of transaction. So rather than having people um, have to leave, whether it's a customer user experience or interface to be able to transact, they receive exactly the financial service that they need at that point of need. So we're very much part of that second second coming, second wave of embedded finance. So if I may uh, bring in a little bit of a, of a customer view um, into that, obviously it's also the way how we can bring financial services closer to the customer, uh, because let's be honest, whoever wanted to go to a bank, <laughs> so in the in the history of banking, it was always the, the case that you needed to go there for whatever you wanted. You wanted to buy a house and you needed to go to the bank. You wanted to buy a car, you needed to go to the bank. By the way, car, car buying, historical part again, yeah, car, car purchasing was likely the first embedded finance use case. Uh, already Henry Ford with the Model T in 1900, what was it, 10 or so, uh, allowed um, financing uh, of the Model T prepayment, actually. So you paid before um, and then got your Model T. That's where embedded finance that because they brought banking to the customer. You wanted to get a car, get it with us and get the loan with us directly as well. That's the logic. And this is where in general direct embedded finance is steering, make financial services more accessible for the customer to bring them into the respective con uh, context of what the customer wants to do and what they want to do is not go to a bank. That's true, especially now with all the technological means that Leila mentioned. So would you both define embedded finance as that simple sort of like that maxim of, maxim of bringing banking to the customer? I actually like that. I've never heard it put that way. Yeah, our vision is to create a world where financial services seamlessly sync with life. And it's very intentional that as a vision, the reason why is because we do we do have this great vision that there is a world where you don't need to step out of your everyday living. You can transact exactly where you need to. To Dr. J's point, who wants to go to a bank? Why do you need to stop your life to go to a bank to transact and, and do things that require financing or require some sort of um, interaction with a financial service or product? So I think bringing banking to the people, maybe, you know, that's quite uh, like a, a, a war cry, but it is the world that we believe in that we, we wish to create for. Thank you. So as we're going to also talk about business as a service and open banking in this podcast, can you kind of differentiate those things, those three things, BOSS, embedded finance and open banking? Your, can you uh, kick us off? Uh, um, so banking as a service is a way how we make financial services accessible through APIs for anybody who wants to consume them that way. Um, in our um, definition and in the broader sense of banking as a service that comes with our banking license. We have a full banking license as also some other banking as a service players have. And uh, whenever we want to bring financial services into the context of, of something, it needs to have the banking license. So we make it easy uh, via APIs to con connect uh, to us any any third party who wants to um, uh, embed 
those things and that comes including um, our our banking license and by that we actually enable um, embedded finance uh, because obviously you need licenses to provide financial services which is not necessarily something companies want to do uh, if they bring the customer there again going back to the example from before the car manufacturers by now more or less all of them not only by now but since 50 years or longer they have built up built up banks themselves so all the big brands be it bmw or right. Volkswagen, or so they all have banks for themselves because in that volumes where they like produce cards sell them mostly financed it absolutely makes sense to own your own bank so now we're going into an area where the, the typical uh, partner of solaris um, who wants to embed something is not necessarily the size of volkswagen <laughs> so they're a bit smaller and, and then building a bank yourself with all the regulatory requirements is a big chunk of work. So in the modern world, um, you can also do those things for smaller amounts of money. Financing right. a car for 30,000 euro, that's easy. Everybody can do that. It can be even a manual process. Uh, it can cost a lot, doesn't matter. Now we're in a time where people want to uh, lend 1,000 euro or 2,000 euro and have small transactions. And those only make sense if you then really do them on scale, have a lot of them. And that doesn't make sense for all the ones who want to embed it. And therefore they want to go with a provider who supports that and brings efficiency and scale already into the game. Leila, do would you like to add to that? Uh, that's very well summarized. <laughs> so we have this this third element. So if uh, BAS is an enabler of embedded finance, how does open banking fit in this sort of triangle? So open banking, the way that I would summarize it, is really a result of essentially progressive regulators who are trying to encourage and foster more fintech innovation in the space. So open banking, the way that it should be viewed is telling essentially the, the incumbent banking institutions, you can no longer hold entirely the customer data to yourself. You have to open that up to other banking institutions so that it is freely accessible and available for all of those institutions across the spectrum. So there it's much more about a regulatory uh, landscape that wishes to foster innovation and thereby encourage um, new interesting use cases, opening it up to developers to, to come up with new ideas about how to use that customer data and to leverage that in a way such that it makes sense to enhance a customer proposition. It doesn't really, the beauty is, is that it's open-ended. That could be really anything. But the point is, if you give that fertile ground for uh, developers to come up with these new interesting ideas, um, the open banking legislation and regulation can can push that forward in a meaningful way. If we relate that to um, banking as a service and embedded finance, then indeed open banking can enable some embedded finance use cases, but also only some the easy ones, because essentially what you can do is initiate payments through open banking and you can read uh, account information, uh, but initially it's payment and payment initiation, which is not a very big thing. It can solve some embedded finance cases, but by far uh, not, not, not all the ones. And therefore clearly another step, uh, open banking, step one, regulatory enforced, um, but then the much bigger step is banking as a service, which can fulfill much more, if not any financial services use case. Yeah, much a much wider plethora of use cases. And I think that open banking and embedded finance or banking as a service are these terms that are, uh, they converge and they're conflated, which I think is a, a something of a misnomer, which is why um, the way that Dr. J 
termed it is very good. Step one, step two, step three. So uh, on our way to step three, I would say quite firmly. Thank you. And since we're, we're, we're obviously talking about banking in detail, now we've obviously seen the rise of a lot of challenger banks or neo banks. So where do they fit in in this puzzle of embedded finance, boss and open banking? So um, niche, niche banking or verticalized banking is, a, from my perspective, a super important trend, which focuses again on the customer. Take an example, business banking. You can get an account, a business bank account with many, many of the large banks, but it's just one of their many, many offerings. And it often, often time, in most cases, they don't really specialize on that. And therefore, the experience for the customer can only always be average, bad quality because it isn't focused on that customer group. So verticalized banking, niche banks, niche neo banks uh, look much closer into their customer group because they have a comparably small customer group, but therefore make the experience better for them because they understand them better and they really focus on this one group. So if your customer group is, let's say, only um, small SMEs um, in a country, that is likely not millions and millions of uh, customers, but maybe only a million or only a six-digit number is potential. And when you go there, then in many cases, it doesn't necessarily make sense that you build the full banking platform by yourself because that costs a lot of money. Um, while with the banking service approach, you can enable that uh, through a third-party collaboration with the banking service player um, and thereby can also efficiently target a smaller customer group, which you can target much better in the end and therefore provide a better customer experience for your specific niche segment. Thank you. Leila, anything to add? Nothing further there. In, in this sort of uh, this customer centricity that uh, embedded finance allows, what's the, I say, another benefit for the brands or the providers themselves? Yeah, I will take that one. So essentially what is happening when you embed a financial service in the look and feel and touch of, say, your application, what you're doing is you are leveraging the contextual data that is generated um, by your user constantly interfacing with, say, that app. And when it's done right, it can really be a boon to the, the company that has embedded that financial service. So there's, I mean, there's a whole manifold um, list that it contributes to, but it essentially, it can improve retention. So um, greater loyalty between the customer and the company, um, increase the lifetime value of that customer as well. So you're opening up additional uh, revenue streams. You also, I think something that is undersung hero is that you cost effectively. So customer acquisition cost can, it's been shown, go lower over time because you're essentially bundling financial services into um, your product offering. So it's, it's, it's really um, a phenomenal opportunity for companies who are looking for ways to increase their touch points with their customers, leverage the data that they already have visibility to and understanding how it is that they can bring um, useful financial services at the point of need. I think the the very well used example in, in this instance to elucidate this would be a Shopify, for example. So they, they have all the data of their merchants. They can see, for example, when receivables financing might make sense for them because they see all of that transactional data going in and out so so that's something that as a customer is incredibly useful 
to have at the time of need. That's true embedded finance. Right. That also fosters, which is very important for brands, uh, customer loyalty then as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if, if you know that you're getting everything that you need and then more because your provider is anticipating your needs, why would you need to go anywhere else? Great way to put that. So uh, what industries are really pioneering the space and leveraging embedded finance the best? I'd like to hear from both of you. Maybe to start, um, I mean, obviously the, the fintech, the fintechs themselves have been the ones uh, which tried to create things which are closer to the customer. Um, and in general, it's, uh, I would say, you can also put that in a very broad uh, sense. It's the app economy, which has a tendency to embed financial services, right? Whenever you're doing something on an app, it tries to solve an end-to-end -end flow somewhere, right? You have an app for everything. And if that anything includes a financial services element, then it gets embedded. So since it's a digital service anyhow, that's also comparably easy. So that's where it started. Um, app economy, um, fintech specializing in specific areas uh, and going there. And now we see more and more also corporate use cases where large uh, companies, um, I mean, mostly in the digital world uh, as well, obviously, but also more classical players uh, do the step forward um, and think about financial services. Any brand which has, as an example, any brand which has a strong customer base, a strong fans, can, for example, easily embed something um, which which brings more to the customer, uh, which goes around uh, payments, loyalty, lending, depending on what you, what type of customers you have, uh, and this is what we see now: more classical corporates of all segments adding financial services. Yes, absolutely. And perhaps to, to extend the, the car um, analogies that we've been using throughout the podcast, I'm going to plug one of our partners that sits on our platform, which is Carnext. And that's um, one of the largest um, used car uh, sales platforms, if you will, in Europe. And what we essentially offer for them is a financing solution at the point of transaction. I, I think this is perfect. And, and maybe a, a, another direction that we will go in in the future is is mortgages, that would be the dream to have embedded finance mortgages somehow. Still unsure how you would embed that into the whole um, user experience. But if you think about your browsing online, you're looking at all these different uh, used cars that could be potential sales that you would buy. What is the last thing that you want to do once you've decided, okay, I want this uh, Fiat 500 uh, that is like white and perfect for my uses. At the end, you say, okay, but now I'm going to have to call up my bank, make an appointment, speak to the teller, figure out a financing-based uh, solution for the car. It, it would just be painful. You would you would never close. You'd never close on the transaction. So if you have this beautiful user experience and user interface where it, it brings you to the fruition of the sale, that's, that's a wonderful example of embedded finance and how it can be used to serve all parties, both the company and the, the customer. Thanks. Uh, Jörg, do you have anything to uh, add to that wonderful example? I could many. I could add many more as well. <laughs> it's good that <laughs> that helps a lot to understand. Yeah, so it seems that embedded finance can apply to many companies in many industries. So in the embedded finance space, who is really innovating? Who would you say the innovators are? 
I think it's in, uh, happening on both layers. Um, if you define embedded finance as being to, to some extent uh, always connected with banking as a service, that it's the banking as a service layer, which needs to make access always easier. Um, that's what we strive for, to make it as easy to work with somebody like us, to integrate easy, to have easy processes, to make it as lightweight as possible for our partners, um, the companies which embed finance. Um, and the innovation typically is uh, customer proximity um so understand your customers better uh, really solve the customer's problem um and thereby uh, make things nicer for the customer i'm i'm very blunt i mean like banking is a we said that it's like it's always about you have money you need money and you transact right on that level there there is no innovation need it's always about making it easier to get that done making is it more nicer for the customer to get that done that's mm. the innovation which is happening in banking since since a long time already and now uh, in a different context yeah i'm completely accelerated by the whole tech-based proposition right i mean um, I think there's an argument to be had, you know, we talked about open banking earlier, it was the developers that were innovating, right, it was the stripes and the plaids of this world, because the developers just got to play with um, fun code that could deliver these financial services in a more novel and an innovative way. And I think you will consistently see that evolution of how to bring financial services in a, in a most immediate way in, in the, the use case that demands it. Very well, uh, very well put. To kind of ask you another question, since we're talking about all these basically different ways banking can be brought to customers to make their lives easier, do you think banks will be relevant in the coming years? Or how do you think banks will be relevant? if you think they will be relevant? That is a great question. Um, I, I have this conversation actually often with our shareholders, how, how they viewed the world developing because they're also very close to the market and investing in new crops of companies that are coming up to solve interesting um, challenges that we face. There's There are some that believe that at some point, banks will just rent out their balance sheets. You know, they'll just be essentially these, these balance sheet powerhouses that they, they just rent out, which going back to, to Jörg's three, three uh, foundational principles of what banking is, they kind of do that anyway, right? Um, but instead of really going after customer acquisition and, and putting all of the costs behind that, rather they would give the balance sheet to to other players who can use it more uh let's say in a in a more financially interesting way for profit and perhaps perhaps that's all that banks are in the future that they don't they don't um offer individual products or services to retail customers like us it's it's just banking um propositions to to businesses who knows that that's quite a radical view i think the hsbcs and the barclays of this world might have something to say to me about that um perhaps i shall regret that comment but nonetheless i, I do think that there will be an evolution I, I don't think that they've kept pace with the rate of change and it will catch up with them eventually yeah, and maybe maybe to add, I fully agree that that many banks will somewhat be reduced to the pipes and rails of financial services system. It's good that we have banks regulated uh, under close observation by the by the authorities, uh, keeping the deposits of the customers safe. So it's an important part uh, overall. 
Um, but the customer touch points might be reduced for many banks, as later said, um, pipes and rails, uh, balance sheet, whatever. Some might uh, still, if they are very specific to a customer group, which is lar large enough uh, to finance uh, or to, to earn enough money to finance the full banking uh, setup for that, then that might still make sense. But many of them will be reduced to pipes and rails. I think so. I think so. That makes a lot of sense. So Leila, your, thanks for this wonderful discussion on embedded finance, BAS, and open banking. We cover a lot of ground, but I think to sum this up really concisely, the main point is about embedded finance that you've shared with us today is it's all about bringing banking to customers and enabling that transaction between provider and sort of, yeah, consumer. Do you have anything to add to that or any last remarks? No, bring on the third wave. <laughs> and I, I bet Solaris is ready for it. Oh, we are. We're ready and poised. Great. Uh, I'd like to thank you both for being on the pod and have a nice weekend. Thank you very much for having us. You've just been listening to Unbundling Embedded Finance, your insight into the future of financial services. Today's guests were your Hoan, Chief Platform Officer, and Leila Kasim, Chief of Staff. Next time on the podcast, we'll cover the impact of business as a service on the financial value chain. Unbundling Embedded Finance is brought to you by Solaris Finco and Cognitio Media Amsterdam. Thanks for listening and until next time.